0: My name is Jessica. Welcome to Unveiling the Scriptures podcast with Pastor Steve and his son, Jared Curtis. Tonight, Uh, they're going to dig deeper into the book of Revelation. So grab your Bibles and let's join them. Well, good morning or good evening or whenever it is that you're watching this, we want to welcome you to the newest uh, episode of the Unveiling the Scriptures podcast. Uh, My name is Jared and I'm here with my dad, Steve Curtis, who's also pastor of Southeast Community Church. And we're going to continue our discussion in the book of
1: Revelation this evening. So how are you doing, Dad? I'm good, good. Hey, can I make like a little commercial before we get into is that this? that what we want to do? I, I want to do this. Okay. This is important. This next section that we're going to cover, I think, is really, really important. And you did a masterful job of um, sharing that. And so those who may not have heard that message, I encourage you to do so. They can get on our uh, Southeast Community Church in Kingsland, Georgia uh, Facebook page and and uh, you can find it and I encourage people to do that because I think it will enhance their understanding of the scriptures we're going to be covering today.
0: So See, that, I thought you were going to like pull out a can of pomade or something and be like, "Tonight's episode is brought to you." But okay, well, I guess we'll talk about that, church. So. <laughs> I tell you what though, so. We're, at the time of this recording, we're four days removed from Sunday, and I'm still tired. So how mm. you do this every week, I yeah, I have yeah. no idea, but
1: kudos to you. Well, no, it, <laughs> it does, you know, and I appreciate the fact that um, people benefit when when pastors or teachers study. You know, I think we live in a world today where people just kind of shoot from the hip, and that's why I love doing expository teaching because— Because to really get the most out of it, you have to put time and study into it, and I think at my late age, I study more now than I did when I was a lot younger. So, it's it's and boy, it's it's wonderful when you do because you not only do the people grow, but you grow. And 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 I but back to the Book of Revelation, what a powerful book. You know, I knew it was a great book and had prophecy and all that, but boy, there's so many uh, so many truths that uh, just jump out of the pages uh, into my heart and into my life. So I'm excited as we go to this next section.
0: So when John kicks off his letter, right, he opens up by doing an, an introduction, um, talking about who the book's about, who the letter's about, uh, and then he spends a little bit of time letting us know that this this letter is written to the seven churches and he tells us later who those seven churches are and and he sets the stage by making it clear that everything that you're going to hear from this point forward is going to be tethered to who jesus christ is right and every time i hear the word tether i always think of that game tetherball you remember that i don't, I don't think they even play that anymore but, you know, the big the big ball, that was tied to the pole, and it just—you hit it, and it'd swing. And I never knew the rules, so we just had fun just knocking the junk out of the thing to watch it spin. But no matter how hard you hit it, and no matter where it went, it was always tied to that pole, right? Mm-hmm. So what John tells us in his letter here to the churches is he's he's tying everything from here on out to the person of Jesus Christ— And so our last conversation, we walked from verses 1 through verses 8. And so tonight, we're going to pick up in verse 9. And Dad, did you want to go ahead and start reading? Sure.
1: 9, it says, "'I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance uh, that are in Jesus, was on the isle called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus.'" Um, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so it begins with... uh, John saying, you know, he's a partner in tribulation, and this, when he uses the term tribulation here, he's not talking about what we call the tribulation period. He's just talking about the trials and difficulties and, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus on the isle called Patmos. Now, some people, we we talked about the isle of Patmos last week, or the island of Patmos, which was a penal colony that John was sentenced to, uh, and and there he wrote the book of Revelation and uh, the revelation and they, and I can't I, I get to go there this coming next year I'm so excited to be able to see what John at least the the environment of what John saw but Jared just kind of open us up you did just a great job of talking about the trumpets and, and this little section here
0: well i I think what would be a really good idea is just take a second and uh, pay a little bit of attention to the way that John introduces himself. So, we know that John, like you said, is on the island because he's been he's been exiled there, uh, we get from scriptures, because he was preaching the gospel. Now, we know at this time that he was probably somewhere around 90 years old, so he wasn't a young man. He wasn't, you know, still running around doing the same things he was doing in the early days of ministry, and, and uh, so when he writes this letter, he's writing this letter to believers, to the churches, that are experiencing the same kind of things that he—excuse me—that he's experiencing, right? That are experiencing um, oppression and and persecution. And and so what he wants to do is he wants to connect with them and say, hey, listen, we're together in this. Um, You know, we do a quick study, and I talked a little bit about this, about the life of John, and John had some serious highs and some serious lows. But as far as we know, never wavered. Mm. He he clung to Christ. He he followed him through the death, burial, the resurrection was a of course a, a major pillar in, in the the beginning of the church. But here he kind of gives us a almost like this three level greeting. This I understand the lows and I understand the highs, right? Because when Jesus said the king, the kingdom is here. Well, John hung out with him, right? He hung mm. out with, right. with Jesus Christ. So he understands the tribulation. He understands the highs. But then he also makes it a point to say the patient endurance. Mm. the Even in the midst of the high and the low, and I go back to that tether word, we're tethered to Christ, which gives mm. us the patience, that gives mm-hmm. us the peace, that gives us the contentment. And so he he says all this and then says, I'm on... I'm on the Isle of Patmos, which it Patmos itself means my killing, so it's my mm-hmm. killing island or the island mm-hmm. of my killing. Mm-hmm. So he's writing this letter about resting in the patient endurance of Jesus Christ while on the island of killing because he's there or he's there because he was serving Christ, he was sharing the gospel. He they tried to kill him and he didn't die. I mean, the guy went through all mm-hmm. kinds of things. And so as he's writing this letter and he's about to jump in, like he's, he's right at the cusp of the vision, right? He's already done kind of a lead up and he says, okay, so here I am. I've experienced the highs. I've experienced the lows. And now I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm waiting patiently and then it happens. Mm-hmm. And so we roll into verse 10 where he says, I was in the spirit On the Lord's day, and heard me, and heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So, I've heard or read—not really heard, but I've read conversations, read commentaries, talking about um, what he meant when he said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I've heard a couple different things. What, what is your take on? Do you lean one way or the other
1: as far as what it is that John's sharing with us? I I just think he's basically under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that he is sim- simply saying I was in the spirit on the Lord's Lord's Day, probably Sunday, probably because that's what they recognized as Sunday as the Lord's Day. Of course, the, it represents the day of resurrection, and um, but when he's in the spirit, I know, I know you gave a couple examples, but I I basically believe I don't I don't sometimes sometimes when we read the scripture. Not you or but yeah. people read the scripture we have a tendency to try to just make it deeper than it is mm-hmm. and I just think he was simply saying I was seeking God I was I was I was writing what he told me to write I was in the spirit, I was connecting with the Holy Spirit I was we know that the Bible' is inspired Holy Spirit inspired God breathed. And so I, I believe that John was basically saying, uh, as he, I'm doing as I'm told, I'm in the spirit, I'm being obedient, and I'm writing these words that are just so powerful. Um, and, uh, and on this, uh, <laughs> I just think it's so funny how man tries to suppress the word of God, and God just kind of laughs. You know, I think of Paul, who was chained to a praetorium guard, uh, six-hour shifts in the book of Philippians, he, he's chained to this guard, and they think, well, we're going to shut him up. And so he began, he, every six hours, there was a shift change. And so he's, a praetorium guard is a palace guard. So he's sharing the gospel with these guards who will go back to uh, the emperor's palace. And, and my understanding is that people had come to Christ and the emperor was not real pleased with that and would have so many people killed. He couldn't figure out how this Jesus thing got into the palace. And God is just so amazing. So, he, so they banish him, if you please, to the Isle of Patmos. And it's there he writes one of the most powerful books in the Bible, John. I'm not not Paul, John, and uh, just a powerful book. So I believe that he's Holy Spirit inspired, filled with God's Spirit, uh, and uh, is just beginning to reveal to us the heart of God for the end days, for the last times, who is all about Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, and I agree. I, I think we have to be real careful to not try to— smush more meaning into some things than than we should. Mm. Now with that said, I am going to point out mm-hmm. <laughs> that when we look at the beginning of verse 10 and it says I was in the spirit that when we look at the 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 Greek rendering of it, it's it's not that John was just kind of sitting around and thought, "You know what? I think right now I'm going to be in the spirit." Mm. Right. Uh but it is this idea of being pulled into it that mm this picture of, of God bringing him into the spirit. So now I don't, I mean, I don't know. No,
1: wait a minute. I'll think about this. This is, I think is really cool. How do we get pulled in to the spirit? And we, so, so the way to figure that out is look at John. He was faithful. He was a faithful disciple, an apostle, All his days, he is the only apostle that did not die a martyr's death. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, God keeps him alive till he's ninety plus years old. And uh, he is the only one who, who of course, he was called the beloved, the one that Jesus loved. And so here's this guy named John, who's closest to the heart of Christ, right up with Christ. When Jesus is um, arrested. And when Jesus is sentenced to death, the rest are scattered, but John was there, and John saw the hum the humble suffering servant that Isaiah talks about who was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we are healed and so this John who is who is up close to Christ, sees him died, sees, uh, uh, witnesses his resurrection, you know, him, the resurrected Christ, spends his entire life, invests his entire life in the kingdom, in the church, and now he's on this supposedly banished to the Isle of Patmos. And John begins, and I think he's in position. For God to say, okay, I'm going to use you right now. Regularly in position. Regularly in position. So it wasn't, uh, you know, one night. We're going
0: to go down to the church. So we yeah. can be in the spirit. Yeah. So let's yeah. all load up yeah. in the van and head on down to fact, First Baptist of Patmos. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, which is interesting. <laughs> which is interesting because this is, there's probably nothing real holy about the island. I imagine not. What, what was the call again? What was this literal the Mike meaning? My killing. My killing. Yeah. yeah. I, it doesn't sound like a place where you meet God. No.
0: But- no. Well, maybe face to face because somebody then took you out. Right. Right. But right. No, I agree.
1: So, so John is on this aisle, banished. In prison, expect we don't want to. He- we'll not hear from him anymore, and God says, "No, no, he he is my beloved, and in this moment, I'm going to fill him with your with the spirit. I'm I'm going to put him in the sp- bring. You see, I don't think he just said, you know, I, you know, I think today I'll be filled with the spirit, like you're yeah. talking about. So, uh, it's I see that as a position. I see that that he is at this point to where he can share. Um, where he can share what God wants us to know.
0: So. so then he heard behind, he says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And so the significance of a trumpet here is uh, what we find as we walk through Revelation is there's there's tons of Old Testament verbiage, a lot of throwing back to, uh, I mean, of course, there's the uh, the prophets, right, Daniel and Isaiah, like you were talking about, so Ezekiel, and there's a whole lot that can that goes there. But there's also a lot of imagery of the uh, the tabernacle, and we'll talk about that, and the 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 way that it's set up, worship is set up for those that follow God. Uh, But the trumpets, in particular, is often tied to kind of the uh, majestic, triumphant entrance of a king that that um you know sound the horns and mm-hmm. and so when when John uses a voice like a trumpet i mean i don't think it was just like a bugle playing but it mm-hmm. was this this powerful um sound that that caught his attention that drew respect that drew um him to to turn his attention towards it versus just I mean we we hear still small voice a lot that's one of the one of the favorites when people talk about God's mm-hmm. voice and I'm not quite sure why because he's also very loud.
1: Yeah. Well, this uh, <laughs> is the story in, of Elijah. Right, you know, right. So.
0: But in particular when we look back in the book of Exodus and it's Exodus 19 right before um right before the 10 commandments and God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai and and in that description moses writes that i mean there's sounds of trumpets and they got louder and louder as it was god's way of saying here i am with the thunder and the lightning and the cloud descending and then there's fire and and so this this sounding like a trumpet this voice like a trumpet it was more than a tune yeah
1: it's used in the old testament of course but it's also used when talking about the rapture of the church the 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 and first Uh, First Thessalonians 4 verses 13 through 17, the Lord shall descend with the shout of a trumpet, Mm -hmm. sound of a trumpet, and then the dead in Christ. So it's usually a call for that, that it's, it's a, I don't know, maybe a warning. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, it's a, it's a call that says God's going to do something. And so, uh I don't know if they're true trumpets or bugles or whatever, but right. there is this sound, and, and sometimes it doesn't read its trumpets. this it is a sounding like a mm-hmm. trumpet uh, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, you know, so So
0: then this trumpet that he hears, or this this voice like a trumpet, like you said, says, "Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So, why these seven churches?
1: Well, there are different reasons for that. Um, You talked about that Sunday. One of them, uh, I heard, I think it was John MacArthur that said, it's because it was on the postal route, Mm -hmm. you know. However, uh, there's great significance... For the first church, which is the church of Ephesus, most of these churches we've never heard of throughout the New Testament, except for Ephesus, which uh, which Paul wrote like four decades before this. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but the church of Ephesus is interesting because it's it's the mother church. Of The other six churches basically are birthed from this one church in Ephesus, you know, and so you see kind of the the, the postal route, if you please. Um, also, you also mentioned, you know, why didn't he use Galatia, the Church of Galatia, or Colossae, or a Philippi? I mean, why why these churches? And you really gave a good explanation of why he used these churches. So, go ahead. Yeah, I have no idea. You don't? Yeah, well, okay. So do I need to... Re- if you don't mind... You don't <laughs> well it has to do with the makeup of the churches, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So, and and we find that later in the second and third chapters, where John um, he speaks specifically into these churches and gives them each a specific message. But I do think it's really interesting too, and and I really didn't even think about this until right now. But I know that the Church of Ephesus was near and dear to John's heart. Mm-hmm. As yes. a matter of fact, it's believed that. Once, um, de- once Domitian was gone, the one mm-hmm. who sentenced him, yeah, yeah. well, okay. So then once, once that emperor is gone, the sentences are lifted and they believe John went home and he went back to Ephesus. Ephesus. <laughs> I, and I,
1: I heard, I, I'd have to really check, but I think he was a pastor.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think church, he was, yeah.
1: And they used to have, this is, this may be just, um, uh, uh, what do they call it? This may not be true, but this may be, uh, uh, Tradi- oral tradition Oral tradition yeah. that they used to, and that John was so old, you know, he's in his nineties that they would prop him up and he would speak to the church and talk about the love of Christ. So uh now I heard that. I read a little bit on that too. Uh that but John pastored till he died, you know, he didn't retire, you know. Right, so right. He just
0: uh, he, he, he did it until he quit it. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. So so, in the seven churches, there's a couple things that we can look at. One, each church brings something that we, as individuals, as members of the body of Christ, deal with um, on, on a on a regular basis. And, and I guess the best way for me to say it is this: is that anybody that is sitting in a uh, that is sitting in a in a church service in between those walls from one end to the other, all seven of these churches are represented because we have to remember that when we think about the church, that it is not a building. It is not walls. And we say that. We say that often. And when I say we, I mean, people that attend church, because we know, like we we know intellectually, we know that the church is not the organization. Now, there's organization in it. There's a title, a label to, so people know what church, which what group they're meeting with. But the church itself is the people. And so when we look through chapters 2 and 3, and we look at the different um, characteristics of the church that Jesus speaks to, the people in our congregations, from front to back, right? The people that are on the platform in the front, all the way to the very back who are standing by the door and from side to side. All of these churches are represented in there. We have the those that have lost their first love we have those that um that are lukewarm right like laodicea persecuted. we have those persecuted yeah. we have the right those that are that are full of the spirit and those that are not dead in this i mean right. you know and not right so we see all of that represented inside that room and so along with that idea and the number seven. The number seven is the number of completion. We see that all through Scripture. We can look at this, and I don't think we're trying to connect too many dots to say that when Jesus speaks these words to John, he's speaking to the whole church. Right, right. And what Mm -hmm. he covers in those seven churches Mm -hmm. covers every single person Uh that is in a congregation. Right. right. And, And some of us have been all of them some of us are in the middle of one right now so you know it's but it it describes every single person and so that being said I, I think that has a lot to do with why why jesus said john these are the churches that that
1: uh, you're going to write to and there's just something that came to my mind too that i think is is something that we must not forget when jesus addresses these churches when john writes to the these churches Notice he didn't write to anybody else. In other words, he didn't write to businesses. He didn't write to uh, uh, governments. He didn't write to all the things that we put ahead of the church. And we try to make the church like a business. We try to make the church run like the government. We try to make the church uh, uh some other kind of organization when the church stands head and shoulders above anything else that's ever been created and the church i've always heard say is not an organization it's an organism now that doesn't mean it doesn't have mm-hmm. good organizations it's not a business it's a body now it should practice good business right you know but 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 the church is not like anything we have in this world. And that's why when Jesus begins or John begins to uh, communicate what's going to happen at end times, who does he communicate it to? He communicates it to his body, his bride, his family, you know, his fellowship, because that's what the church is. And sometimes I think, you know, church is the last thing we do. And I don't mean just attending on Sunday. I mean, we got to be the church and and how we live our lives every day. But it is that called, that ecclesia, that called out group of people. And so understand that what a privilege to be a part of his church. And and when you read the seven churches, there's some bad things Mm -hmm. going on in some of these churches that is disgraceful. To the, uh, to the cause of Christ, to the name of Christ. However, uh, I, sometimes I look at my life and I say, I, I've been able to, I've had the privilege and honor. There's no bragging about this because God can take me out at any time. He, I've had the privilege and honor to serve in his church for coming on as far as a pastor, uh, 40 years. And, and I'm so honored and humbled by that I just think so when you look at this sometimes we bypass well he's just talking to the church what do you mean just the church this is his his mechanism to reach the world is through the church so I, I know yeah. I went on a side no boost.
0: no and well and what what he really does is he is he 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 brings personal responsibility to the table yeah absolutely and and you can't you can't leave that to organization. You can't leave that to Right. It. He says, right. No, this these are heart issues. And so so now to this point, John's John's let us know about he's been pulled in the spirit, right? He is he is hearing the voice of Jesus Christ. And the first thing he says is right, right what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, right? That's the first thing he says, that what comes from here on out, this is what needs to go Mm -hmm. to the seven churches. He says, then I turned to see the voice in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And so if we can just talk for a second about About that, and the significance of the lampstand, and then
1: seeing the one in the middle Mm -hmm. of that lampstand. Mm -hmm. I I think the lamp, of course, the lampstands, it's clear what the lampstands are. They're the church. Again, you know, that's who Jesus addresses here. He'll be addressing here in chapters two and three. John's talking about uh, the lampstands, it's the church. Now, what's interesting, and I think you may w- getting ready to bring this out anyway, what's interesting about the lampstands is it's not the lamps. Mm-hmm. We are not the light. We are the lamp holders. We are the light bearers. And I say we, I'm speaking of the church. And so, uh, and in the midst of the lampstands is is Who? I love this. And I want you to explain some of this because you did such a, a great job in doing that Sunday. But in the but he says, turn and I saw seven golden lamp stamps in the midst of the lampstand. And it doesn't just say Jesus, but it just this is a description of 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 his 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 deity as his power. I and you did this Sunday and I thought that was so good. We we didn't call him rabbi. You didn't call him Rabbi Sunday, although he was called that. You didn't call him Master Sunday. You said King Jesus, because what we're talking about here is not the suffering. I've said this before, mm-hmm. but not the suffering servant. But what we're talking about here is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so uh, that who is who is not a far off from the churches. He's not standing outside of the church door looking in. He's in the midst of... Of these churches of the lampstand, go ahead. Yeah, and they're yeah. and they're circling him, right, right, right. He's so, the center. Yeah, not, not music, mm-hmm. not lights, not the preacher, not
0: gifted te- speakers.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. No, it, it's he is the center, and boy, what a message that is for us. He he still should be. The sad thing is. You know, we talk about filling the church with people, and we do anything to fill the church, and yet Jesus is 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 literally left out so we can fill pews, and I, I just think that's a shame. But, uh, but, but He is the center, He is the focal point, He is the reason for the church.
0: So there's the picture that John gives us of of, uh, one who is like the son of man. And that's kind of an interesting, an interesting statement itself. Cause you read that phrase often in also in the old Testament talking about the mm-hmm. son of man, the mm-hmm. son of man, you see it in a lot of, uh, a lot of the prophets talk about the son of man. And the idea behind that is not simply just the extension of a man, mm-hmm. uh, but well, it is man the, of Christ. the yeah. but it is the, he is the superior man. Like he mm-hmm. is at the top of the mm-hmm. the i don't know I was gonna say pyramid, but there's no pyramid, but mm-hmm. he is the pinnacle of mm-hmm. of man, right, right, so we know that of course he's one hundred percent God, and he has to be one hundred percent man to fulfill what it is that that he did, of course prior to this, so there is the son of man, the one that stands in this position inside. And being surrounded by these lampstands who, again, don't have the light. They are the stands, right? And it's Jesus in the midst that shines the light. And he is clothed with a long robe and a golden sash. So the significance of this is, excuse me, he is he is dressed as a priest. And we mm-hmm. know of Christ as our high priest. Mm-hmm. And whenever we think about um, priest, we have to go back to Exodus. We have to go back to Leviticus and and, and the whole uh, setup of the of the uh, of the law and the and the and the priests that uh, work on behalf of God to be, uh, you know, the spokesperson for God to man to be the in between, the go between. We think about the tabernacle, right, where God, the first place where God dwells with His people outside of the garden. Mm-hmm. Right? So he he instructs them build this way, this is what we need, this is how it needs to be, these are the materials to use, and I'm going to place myself among my people again. So in the midst of that tabernacle are different um different things constructed for specific purposes of worship and different ways to worship and and one of the things that's really important to remember is when you talk about the tabernacle it really is like, the whole thing's about Jesus, mm-hmm. and Jesus being the one that brings us into the presence of God. He is the door, right? There's the mm-hmm. door to the Holy of Holies. He is the gate, mm-hmm. which is there's a gate to enter the tabernacle. There was the uh, the altar where sacrifice is taking place, the, the basin for washing, right? Jesus washes away the sins of the world. And so anyway, you, you can march on through— The bread of life. The bread of the life showbread. on the yeah. showbread, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was the menorah, mm-hmm. or the, the lampstands. Or the lamp stand, which was made interestingly enough. God said, "I want this hammered out of one piece of gold," and so it had the one stem in the middle with the six branches off mm-hmm. of three off of each side. And this was, um, and this was used to. Uh, the priest would keep this lit. He would take care of this. He would make sure that the wick was trimmed. The oil stayed full. Right, the light continued to burn. And so this is the same imagery that John. Is describing to us when he talks about the lampstands surrounding Christ what's interesting is that the menorah would be lit in this case Jesus is the light in the midst of the lampstands in the church so so we have this picture of the high priest in the midst of his church that he takes care of that he directs that he keeps the light on that he um, that he as we see in chapters 2 and 3 Sometimes he has to trim the wick. Sometimes mm-hmm. he has to, uh, you know, trim the, the, the whole vine and branch, mm-hmm. right? If it's not producing prune. fruit, we got to prune it, right? Yeah, right? The same idea. But Jesus is right in the middle of all that. And he's about to do some pruning
1: mm-hmm. Yes. A, a, yes. In,
0: in the next few chapters to mm-hmm. come up. Um, mm-hmm. But that's first and foremost is the picture that John gives us, is the picture of the priest, the high priest, Jesus, in the midst of his church. And
1: we don't know this if we don't know the Old Testament. Yeah. You ever hear people, I'm sorry, I'm just, I don't mean to chase rabbits, but have you ever hear people say, well, I, I'm not an Old Testament. Yeah, I'm, I'm a New Testament I'm a new Christian. Christian. I'm a New Testament believer. My goodness. <laughs> then you've missed out on, on Jesus. Yeah. A whole, yeah, what, 39, cha- I'm not sure how many chapters in the Old Testament, of, of Jesus. And then he's revealed, it's Jesus uh, concealed in a sense. And now mm-hmm. Jesus revealed in the New Testament. But uh, when a person says I'm Old Testament, I'm not I, I think they don't understand the Old Testament. They're afraid of it, like they're afraid of the Book of Revelation. And uh, it's so important to 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 under because you're talking about God all throughout the ages. It's
0: a very yeah. different type of writing that right. I think. Mm. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to to Laura, my wife, about this this morning because we're reading. Um, I'm reading in Genesis. She's reading in Numbers, and she's she's looking at me, going, "What is this about?" I said, "Well, it's about Jesus." That's mm-hmm. Well, i know that, but I mean, this is just because it's not always the easiest to read. Mm-hmm. Some of it we're so detached from because of culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just we don't right. we don't understand. It, so we right. do have to take the time to read it and understand it. But it really is talking about—it's uh, talking about God and our relationship with him and the need for Jesus from day one, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and Jesus' involvement in day one, all the way through the Old Testament. And so if we if we don't know the Old Testament—
1: Or enhance ourselves from the Old Testament.
0: Right. Then we don't know right. what Jesus is about. Can mm-hmm. I say that Jesus—that knowing Jesus and his, and his death, burial, and resurrection is enough for salvation? Certainly— But I don't get the big picture if I don't know what the Old Testament talks about. We don't know King Jesus if we don't know the Old Testament because, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest. When you read from Matthew all the way up to Revelation, there is no picture of King Jesus. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, they talk about him. Right,
1: right. They talk about him coming one day. In fact, That's who they were looking for. The Jews in Jesus' day were looking for the the coming Messiah. Uh, oh, I don't know if God blinded them at the time, or they just overlooked the scripture that talked about uh, the suffering servant. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, and it does. It talks about in Zechariah. Talks about in Isaiah, of course, fifty three. And um, and I don't know if they didn't realize that, or God blinded it to that, because Paul talks about in Colossians that it's a mystery that has mm-hmm. been revealed. Uh, but uh, but the Old Testament really points more to Revelation than it does to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, not that it doesn't, it does. There's some 50 prophecies sure, of the yeah. birth of Christ, but plus, no, there's some 500 prophecies about second coming. So, um, so it's it's really interesting to look in and, and see that the Old Testament really talks does talk about the suffering servant of course but also much more talks about mm-hmm. the reigning king lord savior the prince of peace the everlasting father that you know uh, in Isaiah that it talks about.
0: And so without that we have a very minimal picture of who Jesus is. Not to take away from what we do know on a pretty common level. We we know about him coming as a baby. We know about him living a perfect life. We know about him um, uh, being the perfect sacrifice and being raised from the dead. And all of that is powerful. I'm not mm-hmm. taking anything away from right, that. Right. But we're stopping our understanding of who Jesus is when we stop there. Right. Because right. it is so much bigger than that. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about God himself in the flesh that came from outside of space and time to dwell to dwell as a human. Mm-hmm. To walk. But then he goes back. Mm-hmm. And then he's coming yeah. back again and when he comes back in, it's in full glory. Yeah, yeah. And so and so if we don't know that, then we're limiting, we're limiting the God that we're connecting with. We're limiting our relationship because we're not seeing him as he is in his totality. And so John's building this picture for us. And we talked about um, just with the gold sash, he had the long robe and the gold sash around his chest. And what I found interesting about that, that sash is when you look at the design that God gave back in the Old Testament— you know he, he wanted to use purple and all these other great colors and then mm-hmm. threads of gold mm-hmm. well when Jesus shows up it's all gold it's like yeah, it's right right so so right. to give the idea that he's the ultimate right. high priest right. that has the churches that's
1: great surrounding yeah. him yeah, i mean good. he get
0: so yeah. he, he's wanting to make sure we understand just how great Jesus is now, now
1: when, <laughs> when you read this don't you get excited i mean i get pumped yeah. when i read this i'm going this is incredible And so many people miss this. So many people, I mean I could tell Sunday you were getting all ramped up. And and but that's good, you know, because when you start and what happened to Revelation, it's not just a it's not his it's not Actually, not history book, but it's not just a book that tells you about the future. Boy, it tells you about Jesus, and it and it refers back to the Old Testament, and of course some of the New Testament books. But uh, and he's writing to the New Testament church, mm-hmm. and uh, just some powerful things. And so uh, the, the idea of a golden sash—not threads of gold—but he is of of the utmost value, and gold has to do, of course money or whatever. It's the highest value. And he is of the highest value. So uh, let me go ahead and read this next part. The hairs of the head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many wa- uh, waters. I'm going to stop there because you really did a great job of developing and, and sharing that. Go ahead, talk about the hairs of his head and and uh, eyes and feet of burnished bronze and all that.
0: So in looking at the white hair, it's common for white hair to be uh, synonymous with wisdom. Right. And we know that uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians it was early on, I can't remember which chapter, but he says that Jesus is wisdom. Mm. Not that it's an attribute, not that he was a smart guy. Mm. He he was the, see, Jesus was in the embodiment of a whole lot of things, Right, right. <laughs> but he was wisdom. And so now when Jesus is approaching in his high priestly manner, he is, he has the white hair. And we also know that um, you know, when Moses' hair turned white, it was mm-hmm. being in the presence of God. Right. So mm-hmm. there's this this picture that's given that's given by John along with the clothing, the hair. Mm-hmm. The hair is like snow, so it's it's mm-hmm. pure. It's you know, when when we when we hear about white as snow, we mm-hmm. think of being washed by the blood of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Being pure. So mm-hmm. he's sinless, he's he's wise, he's um yeah, sinless and wise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then it talks about his eyes uh being like flames of fire. And so fire often is is kind of tied to judgment. Right? Let's think about Daniel and talking mm-hmm. about prophets. I and mean, we the the popular story of the the three Hebrew boys that get thrown into the, the fiery furnace, right? Mm-hmm. This is about judgment. This is about destruction. This is about mm-hmm. tearing down. Mm-hmm. Well, in the middle of that fire one showed up like the son of God, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And walks in there with, with the three Hebrew boys and they're not even touched by the fire, mm-hmm. which is another one of those ideas, right? That God is in control and he contains that fire, that judgment, and mm-hmm. he does it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so we have Jesus with all wisdom and judgment combined. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's really hard for us to even put our, to wrap our minds around. When we go back to it, and I like to reference Genesis 3 so much because there's so much that happens In Genesis 3 that, of course, sets the trajectory of existence. But the core of Genesis 3 is is Adam and Eve deciding that they're going to put themselves in the place of God. We're Mm -hmm. going to take on the responsibility of God, even though we're not equipped to handle it. We're going to take it on anyway. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we don't understand what perfect love, perfect judgment, perfect um peace, perfect wrath, perfect like we don't understand what perfect hatred even mm-hmm. means. We don't understand that cuz everything's everything's tainted by our sin nature. So what we have here is we have a picture of purity with
1: perfect judgment. Mm-hmm. And We can't wrap wrap our head around that. (laughs) We don't think of judgment as being perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is. God's judgment is perfect. Yeah, that's great. Um, the The fire thing is it. You talked about Daniel three. I just think um, what another picture of of lost man on his own in judgment of fire, and the only one who can save him from that judgment is the fourth man, Mm -hmm. who. Who I I believe is a pre incarnate Christ, who he protects them because they should have been annihilated as they hit the fire, like right. one of the like the, the guards. The guards. Yep. And uh, but 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 the and so the only thing, the only thing that saves us. Get this; it's important to get from the wrath of God. Is our Savior Jesus Christ? He because he took the wrath. of of God on the cross. He he felt the full force brunt of our sin, the payment of our sin. And uh, so, you know, but now he comes in judgment and, and perfect judgment and perfect righteousness. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really cool. So go ahead and the next one, but well, his feet are like, uh, did you, you want bronze?
0: To... No, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. And so it uh, goes on to say his eyes. I uh, see. Lost my place. Oh, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. So again, there's that the fire, fire yeah. right? We're talking about the fire, and I I'm not into like the metals, like metallurgy and all of that uh-huh. stuff. I don't yeah, I don't even yeah. know if I used a word right, uh, which is okay, uh-huh. I guess, because I claim to not know those things. But what I do know is this: is that when a blacksmith or or silversmith is working with silver and they want to get it to its purest form. Right. They're going to heat it. They're going to hammer it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're going to break off all of the imperfections. Mm-hmm. And and I heard somebody say that the point that they know that they've reached where they want to be as far as the the purity of it is that they can see their own reflection in it. Mm-hmm. So in thinking in that vein and looking at this scripture, what we know about Christ that you just covered clearly mm-hmm. is that Christ walked through God's perfect judgment mm-hmm. on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And he was burned down. I mean, he God turned his back on him. Mm-hmm. He bore the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. Scripture tells us that the one who knew no sin became sin. Now he didn't become a sinner. No. But right. he became the tar he put on he the shattered. target of sin. Right. And and with that, the wrath of God was unleashed on him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing that caused Jesus to say, why have you forsaken me? Not him being right. brutally massacred. And, and that's
1: the only time when Jesus is on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Are you forsaken me? Is the only time Jesus refers to the Father as God. Uh, every other time has been my Father. Mm-hmm. And which tells us there's this, there's this, div- I don't know, maybe that's not the right word. There's a separation because Jesus didn't become a sinner, but he became the sin-bearer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and now he comes with perfect, perfect
0: well, judgment. And so in the midst of that, not that Jesus had imperfections, so let me make that very clear. I don't want to be yeah. misunderstood. <laughs> but coming out the other side of the wrath allows us to see the clear picture of God, King Jesus, right? right. Coming back to... So it was it, it, Jesus who humbled himself into human form, mm-hmm. right? Gave up the the splendor of heaven. He did not find it. Uh, I'm going to butcher it because I can't remember the words now. It just slipped my mind. He did not find it
1: You're talking about Philippians to play too. the God card. Yeah,
0: yeah. I can't think. Anyway. He, he emptied himself. Right. And he, so he, he right. to become 100% man, while still being 100% God. Mm-hmm. But once walking through and taking on the burn, fulfilling what it was that the Father wanted him to do, drinking from the cup, we see him now as King Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Everything that he humbled himself to is burned away, and he is now mm-hmm. back in the position that he was meant to. Meant to be, I mean, he was meant to do it all, but I think you get what I'm saying.
1: Right. He's Back, glori- he's, he's who he is. Right. He's glorified. Yeah, fullness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Where are, we, where are we at? I lost my place. Okay. Uh, oh, the voice
0: like the roar of many waters. What,
1: what, what do you think that means?
0: Well, I think it was really loud.
1: Yeah. Makes- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: well, it makes me think of, of, uh, like waterfalls so yeah, yeah there's this one waterfall that we'll go to uh when we go to north carolina we have a few times and it's a pretty popular spot um I, is it trash can falls i can't remember if that's what it's called or not
1: there's the there real high one they have the linville falls too no, it wasn't
0: that one is the yeah. one where Sanders stood at the top and was oh, like uh, one two
1: three jump and right and you don't no, jump. you don't jump you were right there at the water at uh, the at the mouth of the fall mm. Um, I want to say Eagle something, but anyway, Eagle Falls or something well,
0: like that. If, if yeah. you go down the side and you, and you sit at the gl- lagoon area, I mean, you hear mm-hmm. just the power of that water. And what's interesting too about that little area is that if you just jump in the water, the force of the waterfall mm-hmm. caused this swirling to take place in the lagoon and it's incredibly powerful and will push you around and it's loud and it's it's mighty and Well, I've been to
1: Niagara Falls. Oh, there's have that. You too. ever been there? Yeah, you, you have when you were little, when you were a little. But I remember being at Niagara Falls and having to yell cuz you can't hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we went on this thing called the Maid of the Mist and we'd go under the yes. falls. You can't hear anything cuz the water is so loud. That's that's like I think that is a great example of what uh, what John says here in his right, uh, no, it, where it says his, uh, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Uh, I don't know if there's a, a literal translation that says like waterfalls, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, but that's what he means. The water can be so loud. You can't really hear. And so that's how he was. He can, he comes with, a sh- with this kind of shout. And now, kind yeah. Of, so
0: we've got the trumpet. We've got... Mm-hmm the crashing waters. And like I said, uh, in back in Exodus and there's thunder and so uh-huh. there's this, uh-huh. there's this power that comes with, it's not uh-huh. just a, a uh-huh. picture of, it's not just a picture of the son of man, wisdom, fire and eyes, but there's this, what comes out of his voice. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he probably didn't sound like Kermit the frog. Uh-huh. Right. Well, remi- I'm gonna remind are you to write.
1: Yeah. I need you to write this in the book. <laughs> Anyway, I, <laughs> it remind, you made me forget what I was going to say. It, it reminds me of uh, um, something, and I forgot what it was. We'll get to it. It was in just the a Kermit
0: thing. I apologize. No,
1: no, no. I was just thinking about. I was thinking about. You know, his 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 voice is just uh, you know so powerful. Oh, I remember when G, when they came to arrest Jesus, and they said, uh, "Are you the?" I'm paraphrasing. "Are you Jesus?" And he says. I am. And probably for a moment, everybody falls, you know, like a Benny Hinn, you know, (laughs) know, everybody falls. And, uh, and so because of he, he, in that moment, in his voice, I am, Mm -hmm. and uh, we know about the great I am, but, uh, so that's cool. Um, let's see, where are we at here? Um, in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged And you talked about the swords, so I want you to share that real quick. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength.
0: So the sword, the neat thing about that, so whenever I hear sword, I, I think of the verse in, in Hebrews that talks about um, how the Word of God is sharper Force than any two-edged sword, right? Mm-hmm. And but that's not the same kind of sword. So the, so the sword that's mentioned in Hebrews is actually more like a large knife. And it was more of a tactical, close uh, close combat used for animals, slicing animals, slicing through meat, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. This in particular, or this particular, excuse me, sword that uh, John is referring to is more of a broad sword. So it's looking, you're looking at about three to six foot in length. And it's for annihilation. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to destroy something some some other ways that it's translated too is like a javelin, so mm-hmm. almost like not quite the javelin like we would picture, but it would have like say maybe a three foot blade with a three foot like shaft, and you could throw it mm-hmm. right so this is this is war this is we're going into warfare, and we're going to destroy and annihilate, not just close combat or slicing up an animal, and it says that it's coming from his mouth, mm. Now I have no idea what that looked like. Like, why would he, mm-hmm. why he would say that? I know that some people have talked about, like, uh, they thought maybe kind of and when you see like, um, oh, you remember like the old uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer logo when he held the mm-hmm. knife in his mouth and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But he's not holding a broadsword in his mouth. So this right, is right. this is something of of, of significance and in mm-hmm. him, him choosing the word that he used. Uh, to discuss this, so what it shows us again is the power of that priest with wisdom, with judgment that is that is coming to divide,
1: and and that that sword represents that he is a conqueror, hmm. that he is one, and and the other sword, like in Hebrews four twelve, is more like a scalpel, a scalpel, you know, that a surgeon would use, yeah. but this is this is a weapon of war, and uh, he's coming with victory and he is the conqueror this time he's not coming as a humble servant he's coming Mm -hmm. as a a reigning king and conqueror okay where are we at here all right and he
0: says a sharp sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength to me that one was pretty just self-explanatory i mean we think about the sun Mm -hmm. don't stare into it yeah, like, yeah, it's bright, it's right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's heating, it's lighting, well, it's.
1: The, I guess the yeah, the picture here is you know you, you kind of when the sun's so bright, have you, uh, on the west side of Florida, the um, the 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 sand on the beaches are is whiter, and so when the sun hits, you know your eyes, are, you can't really, you need really need sunglasses. But the picture here is that you almost have to cover your face because the 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 light is so bright and uh I, and it says shining in full strength in other words in other words when he came the first time he came as a light to save the world now he comes as a savior to establish his kingdom and uh and now he comes you know not as a suffering servant as we've said not as Just a a humble man who was born as a baby, born in a manger and lived a kind of obscure life. But now he comes as king of kings and Lord of lords and the full blown light of his glory shines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're going to have and we will see in just a minute how that affects John. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Go ahead and you can, unless you got more to say about that. No, that's good. Verse 17. Right, right. This is my favorite part.
0: Go ahead. (laughs) When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and
1: Hades. Wow. I look at that and I think, you know, when you preached it, I thought it was... This is a personal part of the scripture here. It's not just the fact that and the wonderful fact that he comes in glory, he comes in judgment, he comes to set up his kingdom, he comes as a victor, but but this is it's almost like this is a uh a a personal touch, a gentle time in the Scripture here. Uh, because he, when he fell at his feet, he as though he says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Okay, to me, I, and I know I, 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 maybe I'm overdoing it this time, but that to me is a picture of us. We're at the feet of Almighty God, lost in our sin, dead, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin, Ephesians. And then rather than, rather than, you know, um, condemning John to hell, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not that he was going to, but, but he's, I'm dead before him. He reaches out his hand And he, it says, it says, and, and puts his hand on me and he says, fear not. And that's what he did with me. That's what he did with you. We were dead in our sins and he reached down and touched us. John has always been a representation of the church, the the church, God's people, God's called out group of people. And he put his hand on John and, and I don't know, this is just kind of a, a thought. He put his hand on John like he put his hand on the church. We were dead before him at his feet. And he says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And he tells what he did. I died and behold, I am alive. I was crucified, buried, but I'm alive now forevermore. And I control death. I control death and hell. Before we were lost on our way to hell, but because of what Christ did, He touched me. I, I don't mean to take this out of context. I don't, I'm not trying to do that. But you see the picture that that I think He paints. But He touches John, and and, and He says, "John, no, you got it. You got to pay attention here. I got something for you to do." I just thought that was powerful.
0: Well, and I think that really ties in to what we were talking about earlier. How when we don't understand or when we don't have a, an understanding of King Jesus, it's easier for us to minimize what he's done for us. So this picture that John gives us is, is of, of a king that is so out of our realm. Jesus even tells us, he says, I'm the first and the last. Earlier it was the Alpha and the Omega. I am outside of time. There mm-hmm. are no constraints. That's mm-hmm. good. Right? I see everything that has been, mm-hmm. is, and will be. That's good. And I'm yeah. reaching out to you at a personal level. It's easy for us to keep that distance. See, so we either minimize Jesus or we wanna we wanna push we wanna push him away mm-hmm. and make him just out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't let us. Mm-hmm. in this passage oh, he wow. breaks he breaks that barrier he breaks that i mean all right so and i feel like sometimes i beat a dead horse but just just for a moment if we can even halfway take what is being discussed here and put ourselves in the place of john right john as you said best friend of jesus witnessed all of these things what he went through the death burial resurrection the ascension, he saw all of that, have served him for 60 years. And he sees him in his full glory and he falls over. Mm. Right. So he doesn't see the same person that he lived with and walked Mm. with and followed. He sees something so much greater than what he could even imagine. He fell out. Mm. And that image that Jesus, not the Jesus he knew mm-hmm. that he remembered, but that Jesus that was so magnificent that he fell out is the same Jesus that reached out
1: yeah. and touched him. Yeah. It's, it it this, doesn't make sense. This amazing, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, this powerful God touched mm-hmm. me. And said, don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah, powerful. Powerful,
0: and so I think that's something as as time goes on. And you know, we we believe that while the church is is being persecuted in other countries, and and believers are giving their lives for mm-hmm. for Christ, mm-hmm. there's there's a time that you know we could see that in America. We mm-hmm. we don't know what the, we don't know how it all unfolds as far as when it unfolds, but Jesus is telling us here as He's telling John as he's surrounded by the Mm lampstands, as he has the broad sword, as Mm -hmm. he has the fire in his eyes, he's saying, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid.
1: Don't be, you're my church. You're mine. Which, for me, because I'm a pre-trib, pre-millennial, basically, he says, and we see this backed up in other scriptures, I will take care of my church. Mm -hmm. They will not, be a part of the wrath to come because they've already, exp- I took their ju- their wrath mm-hmm. and their judgment on the cross. So to me, I see a beginning of a picture where he begins to, John begins to share what's going to happen, of course, and, and the, writes letters to, he writes, Jesus writes the letters to the churches and John does all the, the, the prophecy and all that. But, but this is John, this is my church. These are my, this is my church. And I will protect them, but there's more to it, and I and I I didn't get into all that. We probably want to read the rest here. Yeah, go ahead. And let me go ahead and read it. He says, "Write therefore the things that you have seen," which is right now. This verse nineteen is is basically a outline of the book of Revelation. He says, "Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this." As for the mystery of the seven stars. Uh, that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars. It and most translations say this are the seven are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now that word angel there is translated messenger, and so many people believe that they're not ain't angel- That's not really angels. Uh, but they're pastors, the pastors of the church. Because I've always thought of myself as being an angel. So, <laughs>
0: well, you have the voice of one.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> but you know, you know, it's interesting though. And again, we'll just play, we'll just have some fun with this. And I know we got to wrap up here in a little bit. But do you find it interesting that Jesus? It says that um, he laid his right hand on me, saying, "Fear not." And what was in his right hand, the uh,
1: messengers of the church? Yeah, yeah, that goes back to what I was. In my hand is the, is is the representation of the church, and I'm a and I'm stand those who are proclaiming the truths in the church are in my right hand. I'm mm-hmm. not left hand. In my right hand, and. I'm I'm not walking away or I'm not standing a back afar from, but I'm in the midst of, I'm walk. In fact, the, the the term that he uses here, I think is really, really, he's, in fact, if you go to chapter two, and I won't do much with that, but he says, he says, uh, he, because he repeats this and we'll talk about what that means, but he says, who walks among, mm the seven golden lampstands. And we'll get to those when we get to those churches. But uh, so he has in his right hand, not left, I don't know why I'm getting this, <laughs> uh, his right hand, the, the I think, I believe they're pastors or, or teachers or whoever uh, who are proclaiming to the church God's truth. And now I'm with my church. And I think that sets up for the time that he pulls his church and then pronounces judgment on the rest of the world. So, well, I think that kind of finishes it up. Yeah, this is great. I, I mean, we're finishing up because we're at of. Basically, we don't want to keep going yeah. because there's, we could spend some more time on this and uh, maybe one day we'll, but uh, so next time we'll, we'll begin launch into maybe a couple of these churches and talk about them and what they, who they are and, Uh, what the messages were, the condemnation and the commendations Mm -hmm. and the call that they're given. So would you like me to close in prayer? Yeah, let's do that. Father, we love you and we thank you for your incredible book. And the more we read it, the more we see and hear the heart of God. The more we see the glorified King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what you want. Father, may we learn, God, may we learn that this is not about us, that the church is not about us, that that you didn't save us for us, you saved us for you, that we are your church and our main function is to glorify, obey and glorify Jesus Christ above all else. So, Father, as we continue with this podcast, my heart is just, is just beating fast because I am excited about the truths that are being revealed in your word. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the blessings that we are receiving as we digest its truths. And thank you for allowing us to share your word. What an honor and privilege it is. We ask this in Jesus' name
0: for joining us tonight on this episode of unveiling the scriptures my name is jessica and we'll see you next time